Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Today, we're starting a brand new series, and uh, it's on the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you, you may have read this, it's just weird, and you may never have read it, and you're going to read it now, or you're going to go, this is weird. And uh, we're calling it uh, Ecclesiastes a Retrospective Warning. And we'll get into why. I read an article not too long ago, and it was really interesting. It was talking about richest people in the world. Richest people in the world. And, and it's kind of interesting. Number 10 on our list today, number 10 of richest people in the world is a guy who used to be number one and number two, right? Because always going back and forth. Uh, Warren Buffett, not Jimmy Buffett, but his brother Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's worth today about $102 billion dollars. And he's only number 10 on the list. And then you start working your way up the list, and you get to about number seven. And at about number seven, you see uh, Mark Zuckerberg of uh, Facebook fame, you know. Mark Zuckerberg used to kind of be up there at the top. Mark Zuckerberg is only about number seven today. He's worth only about $122 billion with a B dollars. And then you get to Bill Gates, who always used to be right at number one, number two, right in there. Bill Gates today is only number four, uh, probably because he's only got about $137 billion dollars. You make your way up to number two, and a lot of you will know this name, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Jeff Bezos is, he's, he's number two because he's only got about 250 or 220 billion dollars. And then you get to number one, number one wealthiest man of the world today is Elon Musk, Elon Musk, wealthiest man of the world today. Elon Musk is worth about 278 B with a billion, B, billion with a B dollars, 278 billion dollars. And then to start talking about this same article, some of the crazy things that people will do with their money. If you're old enough, you remember this show? I'm Robin Leach. These are lifestyles of the rich and famous. If you've never seen that show, just so you know, just nailed the impersonation, killed it. And, so, and if, by the way, if you're from Great Britain here this morning, you were greatly offended. I apologize. Uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous was this crazy show where they used to show what really rich people, how lavishly they used to live, right? So I'm looking through this article further, and they talked about people with a lot of money. What, what kind of crazy things, simple little crazy things they spend their money on. Gwyneth Paltrow is an actress. She, many of you would know her. She's done very well. And uh, just her little thing that she loves to spend money on, she, she likes these particular T-shirts that she wears. They're worth about $3.50 for each T-shirt. I'm like, that sister needs to know about the Hanes 3-pack, right? She doesn't get that. And then uh, they were talking about other little things like Bono. Uh, Bono, one time, he was flying from London to Rome, and uh, he has this cool hat that he likes to wear, and he was flying in first, first class, right? And he doesn't want to put it in cargo, and he, he doesn't want to wear it, so he buys an additional $1,500 first class seat to set his hat in for the trip. And then the other one that I thought was really interesting was uh, Shaq, you know, Shaquille O'Neal played in the NBA, made lots of money, now he does commentary on TV, and he's doing all that stuff. Uh, his was, he spends $1,000 a week on apps. And you go, he's a big guy. That's a lot of appetizers. I'm talking about like phone apps, phone apps. I don't have a phone app that you actually pay for. I only get apps that are free. I buy the free ones. I buy, you know what I'm saying? And so it's crazy. And we have a tendency to look at these people and we go, wow, they have a lot of money. They got this whole thing figured out. And then we say this, their lives must be awesome. We always think that. Their lives must be awesome. And you're going to see that from a guy who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, just so you know, in the overall theme of Ecclesiastes, he's really asking and answering this question. Does God matter? That's what Solomon's going to get into. Does God matter? 
Right now, very important to know this. He's not an atheist. He's not asking the question, does God exist? He's asking and answering the question, does God matter? And I think that's a really significant question because all of us, you know, an, an, an atheist says there is no God. An agnostic says there's a God, but he basically created the world, gave it a spin, walked away. Isn't really involved in it. That's more what, what an agnostic would say was, I think there's a God, but does it really matter? And I think the reason that that's so important, because I personally think all of us, followers of Jesus included, are somewhere on that spectrum in the reality of life and a day-to-day. Because we go, oh, no, Neil. Oh, no, Neil, I go to church. Jesus is my Lord. But does he matter when you're making financial decisions? Does he matter when you're making relationship decisions? Does he really matter, and do you consult him when you're figuring out how to spend your time And so throughout the book, he's going to ask this question and answer this question, does God matter? Now, just for the record, there are a lot of different ways that you can ask that question. And so in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, specifically, he's asking this question, what makes life meaningful? Does God matter? In other words, does God make life meaningful? Does that have anything to do with life? And so we're going to look at that today. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're looking for the book of Ecclesiastes in your Bible, as you look down on it, Psalms is almost always right about in the dead center, right? 150 Psalms. And so then you just keep going to the right. The very next book is Proverbs. There are 31 of those. And then, boom, there's Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters. So when you get that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're new to our church... Just know this, we don't up, down, up, down the whole time, every time we read a text, but we do when we read our primary. And the only reason is this. I want to remind us every Sunday when we're here that this just isn't a a book written by some good fellows. This is God actually speaking to us. And so I want you to receive this as the word of God to you, to Cedar Valley Church in 2022. And we'll get into how that looks. Look at verse 1. He says this. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Verse 2. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, but then it hurries around to rise again, verse 4, or verse 6. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea's never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers, and then it flows out again to the sea. Everything's wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. Verse 9, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is really new. Sometimes people say, here's something new. Actually, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Let's pray. Father, we receive this this morning as your word to us. It might not have been originally written to us, Father, but we know that you wrote it for us, and you've given it to us now. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you to explain to us what this would do, have to do with us today. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you do this in a manner that only draws us to Christ. Glorify yourself, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. And I will say this. This series over the next eight weeks, let me just tell you this. This absolutely 100% is a series that you invite people to. 
Because we're dealing with just real-life questions, Christians, non-Christians. Everybody's going to struggle with these things. And so I think he's really got something to say to us. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this. These are the words of the teacher. The writer here is going to identify himself to us. And so first thing he says is, these are the words of the teacher. Now, just so you know, this, this passage, this book in the Old Testament, they were written in Hebrew. And then in the Septuagint, it would have been immediately translated into uh, Greek, and it, right from there, it would have been translated. And so in the Greek, Ecclesiastes is actually called oh, Ecclesiastes. It's just spelled different. But it means this, one who calls or gathers the Ecclesia. You and I, folks, we're the Ecclesia. We're the church. The church is not a building, right? The church is the people. And so this is writing to one who calls or gathers the people of God, the church. And then further, he identifies himself by saying this, not only the teacher, but King David's son. Okay, now we narrow it a little bit more, right? And here's the final one, who ruled in Jerusalem. Okay, David had a number of sons. Which one ruled in Jerusalem? And the answer is Solomon. We're very convinced that Solomon, we feel very clear, very sure that Solomon is the writer here. And I'm telling you this because it's really important because it taints your perspective and how you view the writings, right? Solomon is the guy who had more money than anybody's ever had. He's got more wisdom than anybody's ever had. He's got more power than anybody on the planet at that time. This dude's got it all. So knowing that, that this is the dude whose life is awesome, who's got everything figured out, now watch what he says. Look at your Bibles, verse 2. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. You all have a nice day now. That's in some translations. Like weird. The guy who's got it all, we're like, that dude's got the world by the tail. He's got everything. That dude's life has got to be awesome. And that dude is saying this, everything is meaningless. Now, the word meaningless is important for us to explore a little bit here because he's actually not saying that life and everything is worthless. He's saying it's meaningless. The Hebrew word, the word that he would have used in the original text is the word hevel. And hevel means this, it's vapor, it's breath, it means fraudulent, it means empty, it's futile, it's useless, it is meaningless, right? This time of year when things get really cold and you're out and about and you're walking around and you might stand somewhere and have a conversation or just even as you're walking or those of you who like to run, right, get, first get a car, but if you like to go for a run, right, you'll be out there breathing and you see your breath and then it's gone. And he's saying that's how it is. He's saying it's like smoke that just disappears, right? If I light this, if I let this burn for just one second, it gets a little something to it, and then I say, we're going to blow it out, right? And now you just see the smoke, right? So if you're in the balcony, it's giant billows. You probably can't tell. It's giant billows. But it's the smoke, right? And I say, that's cool. I want to get that. I use my other hand. Wait, I want to just grab it. Right? He's saying that's what life is like. He's saying life, you just, you, I, you just can't, you can't grasp it. You can't get a hold of it. You see it, you pursue it, you're going to go after it, but you just never get it. The guy who's the richest guy that ever lived, the guy who's supposed to be the wisest guy that ever lived, that has everything, power, you name it, this dude's got it. We always say, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Solomon would have said, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, own the T-shirt company, own the conglomerate that owns the T-shirt company. That's Solomon. And he's saying everything is meaningless, and worthless. Now, I want you to know a little bit more about Solomon because I'm telling you, it's the perspective you got to understand who's writing and what he's saying. Here's what we know about Solomon. First of all, it says in 1 Kings chapter 2, Solomon became king 
And he sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. We believe that Solomon became king somewhere around the age, you ready for this, 16. Now, Josephus, who's the most widely acknowledged first century historian, so he wasn't there at the time of Solomon, but he's first century. Everybody says Josephus was right on it. Josephus believes that Solomon became king at the age of 14. Some of the more conservatives say 17, so I think a safe number is 16. To assume that a guy, a young guy, 16, became the, the king of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, at the age of 16, this dude's got it all. And I'm telling you, he started out really, really well. This is a guy who started out really well. Look at this, 1 Kings chapter 3, it tells us this. He's got a dream. He's having a dream. And it says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, get this, Solomon, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Anything you want. Anything. Now think in your head right now. If somebody said that to you, hey, whatever you want. Don't give me the Sunday school answers, everybody. <laughs> what did you really think of first? What do you want? What was the thing you wanted, right? How many of you know this? You better be careful what you wish for. Have you figured that one out? Be very careful what you wish for. Some of you would know this story. Man and the woman, they turn 65, and they're going to retire. And so they'll go down to a nice place. Like they're down on, out on a beach. It's just sunny. It's warm. It's beautiful. They're holding hands. They're just in love. They're in love. They're 65 years old. They're walking along the beach. Sure enough, they get along the beach, and there's a bottle, and it's got a cork in it. Go figure. They pull the cork, and a genie pops out. This is right from the Bible, everybody. Believe me on this, okay? So they pull the cork out. Out comes this genie. And the genie says to each of them separately, ask me whatever you want. I'll give it to you. Ask me whatever you want. I'll give it to you. So the genie speaks to the wife first, and she says, what do you want, wife? What do you want? What is it you want? She said, I'm just so in love with my husband. I just enjoy this so much, walking on the beach with him. I just love my husband. I'd like to have another thousand years here with my husband just so we can walk along the beach. And the genie says, poof, there it happened. Another thousand years, it's, it's yours. Then he turns to the husband. He says, husband, what is it you want? What is it you want? Ask anything and I'll give it to you. The husband says, well, he says, uh, now that I'm retired, we're just enjoying this so much. I wish my wife was 30 years younger than I was. And the genie says, poof, done, you're 95. Like, you got to be very careful what you wish for. You don't know what's going to happen. Okay, Solomon doesn't just go off crazy town. He doesn't. Solomon asks for something very wise. In fact, God says to him, Solomon, what is it that you want? And Solomon says to God, here's what I want. I want wisdom and I want discernment so that I can rule your people well. And God says, you know what? Because you didn't ask me for wealth, because you didn't ask me for a long life, because you didn't ask me for victory over your enemies, I'm going to give you wisdom and discernment. But here's the deal. In addition, I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you a long life, and I'm going to give you victory over your enemies. Solomon started out really well. This guy has all the power. He's the king. He had, we're going to find this out. He didn't use it. He had all the wisdom. I'm more powerful than any of you will ever be. I've got more wisdom than any of you will ever have. Further, we know this. Well, we'll see Solomon maybe start to get off track. Just a bit. Even the guy with all the wisdom, we read this earlier. It said this, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the king of Egypt, right? He makes an alliance with him. Why? God did not tell him to make an alliance. God says, you trust me for peace. You don't need to enter into any of these alliances. 
And Solomon made an alliance. Well, how do you seal the deal? Well, this is classic in the ancient world. You marry one of the daughters. And Solomon did that. He married one of his daughters. He's not showing wisdom. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to show you why that means there's not wisdom. This, this woman is a pagan. She worships idols. It's very dangerous for this man of God to be married to a woman who worships idols and foreign gods. And that's not the only one. It says Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, which we just read about, he married women from Moab, from Ammon, from Eden, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. He married all kinds of them. Now, here's the rub with that, and here's the problem, and you need to be aware of this, that the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7. You need to be very aware of this because I'm going to talk to this. It applies to us. He said, you must not marry these foreign women, not because of ethnicity, not because of nationality, but because they'll turn your hearts to their gods. Now, now let me just stop and go off on a tangent for a minute. I'm going to talk to all the single people in the room. Listen to me. If you're single and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, Jesus is my Lord. It's the most important thing to me. Listen to me. I'll just say this as gently as I can. Don't marry people. Don't date people who don't share that with you. Don't start dating them. You're not the one who's, oh, I, I just know I can lead them to Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When they get on board with Christ, then you can date. But I've just talked to enough people, and I know how this works. I know. Just trust me. And you're going to agree with me because you know it's true if you've been out there. You go on these dating sites, and you plug in, oh, this is me, this is me, follower of Jesus, Christian, say it however you want. And you're going to read on their profile, follower of Jesus, Christian. And then you're out on the first date, and they're like, why don't we go to bed? Well, a follower of Jesus wouldn't have said that. Just trust me on this. And I'll say this as gently as I can. I, I promise you, I'll say this as gently as I can. I'm going to make it real awkward for a few of you in the room. Some of you have married someone like that. And you know how challenging it is. And that would be your testimony. And you love them and you care for them. I say this all the time to single folks uh, when we're talking about this. This is going to sound crazy. You, the, I have a wife that I've been blessed with and I love her to death. And the most intimate thing that we ever do is we worship together and we pray together. And it would crush me to think that I couldn't share that with the person who I've married. I'm just giving you a word of warning. You let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But I'm telling you, God, God has said that to them. And he says that to us now, right? Think about that. Think about that when you're dating, right? And he says this, Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. Now, get a load of this. You ready for this? At one point, Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Just stop for a minute. Can you even imagine that house? Can you even imagine the conversations that are going on in that house? You never listen to me. You don't spend any time with me. You don't spend any time. My love language is time. You're never there. You don't spend any time with me. My mom doesn't really care for you. Do you think this tunic makes me look fat? Like, what's going on in that house? 700 wives. Women, this is not a knock on women. right? We could, there are plenty of things we could pick on men. 700 wives. 300 concubines, and as humorous as that we might find that, here's the real tragedy of it. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Like, that just happens. 
Be very careful who you date. Be very careful who you date. Solomon's got all the power. He's the king at 16. He's got all the wisdom, right? He's got, he, he's got all the women. Sorry if that sounds crass, but in a patriarchal culture, that meant something. Watch what else. All of King Solomon's drinking cups, solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They're made of gold. Like some of you have some really expensive dinnerware at your house that's been passed down from grandmother to grandmother to grand, and you, you have to polish it sometimes because it tarnishes. That stuff's worth money. And if those of you who know you've gone to buy a new set of that, it's really expensive and it can cost you some money. What, here he is going gold, like that's overboard. Why wouldn't he just have stuff made of silver? Oh, here's the answer. It says they were not made of silver because silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. You know why it was considered worthless? Because in Solomon's day, because of Solomon and his lifestyle, silver was said to have been just like the stones and the rocks. Anybody ever been over to that part of the country? You ever look around? There's a rock or two, folks. It's all rocks. That's all there is. Right. That's how silver became because Solomon had so much of it. So he had the utensils and the cups in his place were made of gold, right? And then Solomon, a little extravagant, it says this. The king had a fleet, also had a fleet of trading ships of Tarshish that sailed with Hiram's fleet. And once every three years, all the ships would come back and they're loaded with gold. Get that. They're loaded with silver. I got that. They're loaded with ivory. I get all that. Apes and peacocks. Like, that's just showing off now. Like, you know how most of us are? Like, it gets around to Christmas time, and everybody's like, man, what do you really want? And we all say, we'd love to have an ape. You know how you say that? <laughs> he's got them all. Like, he's just showing off. Now, listen, the guy who has all the power, king at 16. I got more power than any of you folks will ever have. The dude who has all the wisdom, I'm just flat out wiser and smarter than any of you folks will ever be. The dude who's got all the women that, that you, you, are even fathomable. He's got all the riches. This guy has everything. Been there, done that. That's the same guy that says this. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Now, the way that you view this book is very important. right? We've called it Ecclesiastes, a retrospective warning. And the reason is because of the lens that I believe he wrote it through. Now, theologians, it's really interesting. Commentators and theologians are very split on how we're to view this book. Okay? So there's a group that's, and it's, seriously, it's almost 50-50. The first group says this. Uh, this is a guy who got off the tracks, and now he's going off on a rant, and he's just bitter about life. That's what it is. Enjoy it. I fall into the second group, and I'll show you why, and I think this is pretty clear to me. I'm not sure why there's such a split. But the second group says this. This is a guy who, who, who had faith in God, that God gave all the wisdom. I think the women were an issue, and he got off the tracks. But at the end of his life, he came back, and now he's turning around. Listen to me. This is a word for every single one of us in the room today. It's a room for anybody who's looking online. It's a, room, a word for anybody who picks this up in three months. He's now turned around and said, I've had it all. I've done it all. I've tried it all. I've pursued it all. And all of that is worthless and meaningless and doesn't give meaning to life. And here's where I believe is the telltale, one of the two telltale signs, is that he says this. Look in verse 3. Look at your Bibles. What do people get for all their hard work? Now, look at this phrase, under the sun. 
That's a really important phrase here because in 12 chapters, he's going to use it 58 times. And the way that we understand under the sun is this. On the horizontal, down here, absent God, without the presence of God, this life with no God has no meaning. He'll use that phrase over and over and over, and the majority of the time, that's how he's using it. Okay? The other telltale sign, if you don't like spoilers, I'm, I'm just giving you a spoiler alert right now. If you don't like those, close your eyes and go earmuffs for a while. You can turn. You don't have to turn there now, but in chapter 12, look at the very end of the book. Chapter 12, watch what he says. Well, that's the whole story. Like he's done with the book now. Chapter 12, that's the last chapter. It's the end of the chapter. He says, that's the whole story. Here, then, is my final conclusion. Oh, right, a guy who went off the rails... And now he's back. Watch what he says. Fear God and obey his commands. That's, that's really the conclusion. I tried it all. I did it all. It ain't there. You want to pursue and just make your whole life about career? Nothing wrong with having a good career. You want to make your whole life and your whole pursuit about money? Nothing wrong, per se, with money. You want to make your whole life about women or about men or about relationships? There's nothing wrong inherently with those. Right? or power, or status, or fame, or whatever it is. He's just saying, Psst, I did all that more than you will ever do. And what I can tell you is, even at the level that I got, it's just not there. It's not worth it. So here's what I'm telling you. Fear God and obey his commands. Now listen, this is really important. Fear God is a weird phrase for us sometimes. We go, fear God, what does that mean? If you're newer to church or church talk, or sometimes we've been in the church a long time and we still don't get it. Martin Luther, the German monk, wrote beautifully on this. And he, 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 I like the way that he explains it. He says there, there really are a couple kinds of fear. There's servile fear and there's filial fear. Servile fear is the kind of fear that you have, uh, like, for instance, a prisoner would have of the jail guard. I'm afraid of them and I'm afraid they're going to beat me. Right? And that guides their behavior. A, ma- a, a, a slave might have that kind of a fear for their master. I'm afraid of them because they're going to beat me. You might have that at work. Right? I'm afraid of my boss because he, he speaks poorly of me and he speaks poorly to me and he, he's abusive to me, but I don't want to lose my job. And so you have this kind of fear. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a filial love. A filial love is a, is a kind of familial love where you would say this of your father. If you, didn't, if you had a poor father example, it's not like that. But it's a, fear that, it's a type of fear that a child would have for an all-loving father that says, man, I love my father. I want to please my father. I want to be like my father. I, I, I recognize my father for all that he is. Like when we have the appropriate fear of God, we come to God with the fullness of all he is. Question, is God love? Absolutely, 100%. Here's another one. Is God holy? Okay, he's both. He's both. So we say, God, because you are love, I want to reflect your love. We also say, God, because you are holy, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you in holiness. I want to rid my life of everything that is unholy and sinful. See, that's a filial love that says, I want to fear God. I want to adore him for all of who he is. That's what he's talking about here. Fear God, and he says, and obey his commands. At the end of the day, that's what it's really about. It's like put God in his rightful place which means you got to put yourself in your rightful place. He says, that, that's what it's all about. It ain't about money. It ain't about power. It ain't about relationships. It's not about fame. Here's what it's about. Fear God. And so, again, he's asking this question. Does God matter? But specifically in this text, he's asking the question, what makes life 
meaningful. Now, you know this. Every week, we like to have a big so what. So you don't, I, I never want anybody to walk out of here going, man, he blabbed a long time. I just don't know what he was trying to say. So our big so what, so you know our bottom line today is this. Life under the sun, meaning less. Life in the S-O-N sun, now that's meaningful. See, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase in Christ about 143 times in the New Testament. In Christ means this. You've confessed your sins. You've received forgiveness. You've invited Christ to come and not just be a part of your life, to take over your life. You've surrendered your life to him. Right? That life, when it's about that, when it's about in the sun and not under sin, that, that's the only place that meaning comes from. That's the only place. And we know that because a guy who should have had it all and attained it all and achieved it all is out in front of us looking backwards saying, hey, hey that's not it. That's not it. That, that, that wasn't it. Right? So we're big now what? Because we always want to have, well, what do we do? I want you to ask this. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Jesus. I, I want to get this real quick. Remember this. Jesus said this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's the thief here? Satan. That's the devil. Have you seen him steal? Stealing people's joy, stealing people's life? Have you seen him kill? Just kill them, folks. Have you seen him destroy? Destroy lives, destroy relationships. Conversely, Jesus is speaking here. This is Jesus talking. Then Jesus says this. However, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That word that's translated rich and satisfying, some of you would know that as the word. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's the Greek word. It's persos. And it means this, more. Jesus, I came that they would have more, a greater life, an excessive life, an abundant life, a life that is exceedingly. That's what Jesus came for. So when we're chasing, 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 Solomon say, waste of time. Jesus would say, it's exactly why I came. It's exactly what I came to give them. I want them to have this. Jesus wants you to experience the full life, the meaningful life, to have it. Right? So now here's our big now what. Our big now what is this. Question. Where are you looking for, for, for meaning? Where are you looking? And I know the Sunday school answer for, oh, Neil, I'm a Christian. You know me. I'm, I'm looking at Jesus. I don't know. I'm not judging anybody. I, I just know the way that I wrestle. Right? Like, if, if we looked at your check register, if we looked at your credit card statement, would it indicate that you're looking at Jesus? Or are you just shopping, shopping your brains out? Got to have the latest, got to have the greatest, got to have newer, got to have more, right? What about if we were looking at, at, your, at your planner and we said, man, how do you spend your time? Well, you know, I spend about eight hours a day gaming. You got to get a bigger mission, Right? I spend about three hours a day on social media. Your mission's not big enough. You got to get a bigger mission. Christ isn't really the focus of your life. You're living under the sun, right? And I'm not picking on anybody. I got my own issues. You know that, right? Life under the sun is meaningless. Life in the sun, oh, that's meaning. That's meaningful. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you wrote it for us. God, thank you that it speaks into our life. Hey, would you just take just a second? Would you just contemplate that now, even now, as we've talked about, just for a second. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What are you actually looking 
two for meaning. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray that we just continue to meditate on it. Let you speak to us, Spirit, throughout the day, throughout the week. What are we really looking for for meaning? I pray that you convict us, speak into our lives. Some of you are in the room this morning, I know, because folks are here every week who would say, I've never really given my life to Christ. I've never asked Christ to come into my life. And if that's you this morning, man, I don't want to leave and leave that business undone and not giving you an opportunity. So with your head still bowed, if that were you, and you'd say, I sense that. I sense that God has been calling me, calling me. I, I tend to resist it, but I know i got to do something about it. Today's the day. You could do that right now, in this room right now. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and you could pray it silently. It's not a magic prayer. It's what's in your heart. But you would pray this. God in heaven, I acknowledge who you are. You are God Almighty, the Creator. And I acknowledge, God, that I've sinned, that I'm actually a sinner. And so I confess my sinfulness to you this morning. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, God, that Jesus died for my sins, that I'm now forgiven. And I ask you, Jesus, come into my life. I'm not asking you to be a part of it. I'm asking you to take it over. Help me to live for you. Give my life meaning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.